How do I handle the loss of a spouse? We're going to talk about that next on the Monday Christian Podcast. Listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. And now, here's your host, Ezra Beyer. Hi there. Thanks so much for taking some time to listen to this podcast. Just before we jump into what we have lined up today, just wanted to tell you of a few resources and maybe remind you if you've heard these before, but I have a resource website called powerlinekingdom.com where you can get other helpful resources, whether it's sermons or you can get devotional minutes. I write a blog as well on that website, so that's powerlinekingdom.com. You're welcome to check that out. But today on the podcast, I am so excited to have my friend, and she's really become a mentor to both my wife, Janan, and I as well. Her name is Nancy Stauffer. I've known Nancy and her husband Bob for about uh, five, six years now. And they are just a fantastic couple. The reason that I asked Nancy to come on today was back in her mid 30s, Nancy actually lost her first husband due to a motorcycle crash. And it was obviously a very tragic point in her life. But rather than becoming bitter and angry, Nancy allowed the brokenness of that tragedy to deepen her love for God. And as a result, she has poured into the lives of literally thousands of individuals. Soon after her husband's death, Nancy would go on to become the very first single mother who would become a diamond business owner in the Amway Corporation. As a result, she was able to use that platform to touch many lives with the power of Jesus Christ and allowed her to rub shoulders with some of the most influential people in the United States of America at that time, including the 40th president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. Regardless of where you're at today, whether you've gone through a difficult season of your life or whether you're going through a more enjoyable season of your life, I think you're going to find this interview very, very helpful to where you're at. So let's go ahead and jump right into it. All right, today it's so great to have my friend Nancy Stauffer on the podcast. And Nancy, welcome. Thank you, Ezra. It's good to be here and, inter- and talking to you. We appreciate your pastoral responsibilities and the way you've always been so gracious to us. Yeah, I should tell our audience about this just briefly that Nancy has been a part of our advisory team. That when we, uh, my wife and I, moved up to Toronto to plant Discovery Point Church. Um, Nancy, and then of course her husband Bob have just been incredible um, supporters to us and have visited us several times up here. So I just want to say up front, thank you so much for all of that. Oh, it's been a joy to come up there and it, it feels like we know a little bit better what's going on there and you made such amazing progress there and in preparation and moving and, and, and actually with the vision of seeing many people come to know the Lord at your building and in your, in your, um, and your fellowship. So it's been a joy. Oh, and we got to do this just before, uh, before we jump into this. I got to tell our audience a little, uh, th- this story real quick. It was back in, let's see here, I guess it was September when we took that trip to Brooklyn Tabernacle. That was back in September of 2014. Is I think right in that time frame. 
And and Bob and Nancy said, hey, before you go, because because they had known that um, I had been called into the ministry after reading a book, A Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire by Jim Simbola. And they said, hey, we want to take you to the Brooklyn Tabernacle because they do a Tuesday night prayer meeting there. And, and just to make a long story short, that night at the prayer meeting, uh, the speaker talked about, I think it was a, a Chinese minister that had come in and was talking about some of the church plants that they were doing overseas. And anyways, he talked about the idea of don't despise the day of small beginnings. And Janan and I have remembered that so many times since we've been up here. And even where I'm recording right now on the wall behind me, we have a plaque that, Nancy, you gave us, uh, you and Bob, a couple years ago, with that very saying, don't despise the day of small beginnings. And so that's uh, that's pretty special. But let's just go ahead and, and let's just jump right into this today. And Nancy, you really have uh, an amazing story in so many ways. But for those of in our audience that have never heard about this. I'm just going to start right from the very beginning. And so tell us a little bit about your upbringing. How did you first come to faith in Christ? And uh, just talk about that. Well, actually, I was <clears throat> I was born into a family that went to a very um, traditional church. It was, it was dress right, look right, but not so much a relationship with Jesus that I was taught. But I was taught a good work ethic and respect your elders and all of those qualities that are good. But it certainly had a void in my life because I didn't really know Jesus very intimately. So um, my mother had a nervous breakdown when I was born. So she was always committed to a, a, a mental hospital. So then my brother passed when I was four years old. So it was just my daddy and I, but he was a very strong, steady, even killed person. So he never let me feel like we were without hope. He did not pray. I mean, we did not have family devotions. We, there were a lot of things missing in our home, but there was one thing that he did. He didn't teach Sunday school. He didn't preach, but he always made sure I got to church. And even though our church didn't really know much about a relationship with Jesus, that he did what he knew to do for me. He taught me the habit of worshiping, not, not missing coming together with people. And so that was a platform foundation for my life that was only going to get better later on. That, that's, that's really interesting to me because I think back to my mom. My mom was so passionate about getting us in church. Mm -hmm. And why don't you just talk about that? Why, like, I'm sure there were days when it wasn't convenient for your dad to take you to church and to make that a reality. But how did talk about how that shaped you over the years? Well, you know, habits are formed in our lives and they're pretty deeply grained. I under, I've heard and read that a habit can be formed in 21 days. Well, we didn't go to church every day in a row, but we went for years and years and years in a row. And um, actually, I just knew that when Sunday morning came, it was time to get up and, and get ready and go to church. Um, <clears throat> when I was in church, I honestly can't tell you, Ezra, that I remember very much that I heard because so many of our sermons were more like, if you're not sure you should wear a blue shirt, a blue shirt to church or play baseball in the backyard Sunday afternoon, then just don't. So I didn't, there wasn't a lot of freedom in that. And so there were a lot of things I didn't know, but you know, the Bible says all that you know to do, do it. And so what was had to go home and cook dinner, but um, yeah, it was just that way. But 
with all that we knew to do, we did that. And there was there was even blessing in that as as deficit in some ways is that it was better. So then talk about the early years in your life. Um, what were the early goals, plans that you had? When did is, what did that look okay. like? Well, actually, I had a scholarship to go to college, and I was all excited about being a teacher. And then all of a sudden, when I was 15 years old, this big dude comes in my life. I mean, a good dude comes in my life at our at our church camp meeting. And it was he was such a decisive person. I was much more. Um, uh, I was much more phlegmatic, I guess. I was a hard worker maybe a workaholic in some ways. And I worried about making good grades in school, those kind of things. But he was a leader. He just really had vision for life. And, and um, somehow he decided he was going to marry me. And against me saying, Oh, no, I don't think so. No, I don't think so. I got married at 16 to him. And by the time we were 21, we had three children. Somebody asked me if I had to get married. And I said, Oh, no, no, no. And but I still quit school and went ahead and got married, gave up that scholarship. By 21, we had three children. And with that, some sicknesses. And sometimes the doctor said, This child's not going to make it because they were really sick. And, uh, but you know, God just kept bringing us along a pathway that was going to draw us closer in adversity. There's a seed of an equal benefit, equal or better benefit usually. And so we would, now that I look back, the vision is like 2020. It's so clear to see. And all of those things, there were times when one child was so sick, doctor didn't know what to do with Brenda. And my mother-in-law now had come to a relationship with the Lord and they had been free thinkers and they really forfeited all their inheritance to take Christ. But a person, my father and my first father-in-law's boss at York, York Borg Warner, which was an air conditioning unit company in Pennsylvania. My father-in-law was vice president of that company and he was a free thinker, which he did not believe in God. Whatever you believe, you believe it strongly enough and convictionally, you'll be fine. So don't you know? Um, but the man who ran the company, owned the company, uh, started a Bible study with the men in the plant. And he said, Titus, would you make rounds in the plant each noontime? Because I know you don't want to join us in Bible study. So my father-in-law did. But here's what happened. As my father-in-law watched the fruit on those men's lives, he became so overwhelmingly intrigued that he secretly went to his boss and said, do you ever talk to people alone without all those men around? And of course, the boss said, absolutely. So mother and dad's site went and visited the owner of the company, and he led them to the Lord. And when they went to talk to their parents about being baptized and getting discipled, the father, my, my, which would be my husband, first husband's grandfather, ran them off the family farm and said, I'd rather see you swallowed by a crocodile and I'm not going to come to see you be baptized, and I'm taking you out of my inheritance. They stood firm on God's word because of the love of Jesus and the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And she began Bible college at 65 years old and really just began to pour into us kids what she was learning. Wow, that's, that's an incredible story. So they paid quite a sacrifice to make sure that you knew about God then. That's right. It did not. I mean, it seemed like God gave them the grace to never question the dollars. That was okay. God was going to look out for them. And 
And that happened actually, if they came to Christ, it was a wonderful experience. She would just tell us Bible stories. They came alive to me. I had been in church all my life, but I never saw anybody that knew the author of the book like she did. That was the difference. That's really, that's really fascinating. So talk about the way that you and Owen came together. How did that come all about? I know you said that you were married at 16 years of age, which in today's world, it, you know, it, it's like 20, 25 years of age is still young to get married. Well, we were, um, we, talk about that. We were so broken, worse than church mice, I think, financially in most ways. We were not. I was very mature in work ethic. I was very mature in, and I could cook and I could can and preserve foods. I'd done that since nine years old. But he was just absolutely a dream chaser, I guess you'd say. Um, and he was willing to work, but we were so broke. Oh my goodness. And he worked at a car wash. And if it rained, we didn't get any money because nobody got their cars washed. And, but you know, it was, it was, it was meant to be, it was just meant to be. And I think that marriage mostly was for me to get my brain stretched. I was such a little thinker because I was in such a, a tiny little, it was such a tiny little town I lived in. It was a poke and plum town. If you poked around, you plum missed the whole place. So, you know, he stretched me to see more things and go more places and realize that I didn't have to be serving the devil to talk about Jesus in the marketplace. I mean, I used to know you just wear your plain clothing and that's, you don't say anything. Um, his whole philosophy and his family was just love on Jesus or love people um, and, and, and just be Jesus with skin on. And uh, when they hit the wall in life, when in life hurts them really bad, they're going to go looking for someone that perhaps has hope beyond where they are. And that is exactly what it was like. God put uh, a magnet, a magnet in their lives that drew people to Jesus through them. I've never heard you quite put it like that. And so that makes so much sense when you talk about that now. I've heard you use that phrase many times, Jesus with skin on. And so from what I hear that you saying, that came a little bit from your relationship with Owen. Oh, it did. It really did. Because I had never experienced anybody that knew Jesus like they did. And mother was just passionate about learning the word to the fact that her impact here she was, a lady, 65 years old, and the ministers of the church did not get paid. They were not pastors. They were in the free ministry. So they all had employment through the week. Plus, they would prepare to give a message on Sunday morning. And when she would come home from her Tuesday night classes, the next day was prayer meeting at church. And the ministers would say, Ruth, can you come a half hour early and tell us what you learned last night at college? And she did. And she had such a sweet spirit that they could listen to her and not be intimidated. And all the while, they, they, they just were so intrigued what she was learning. And before very long, they asked the congregation if they would like for her to teach on Wednesday night what she learned on Tuesday night at college. And that was such a turnaround for that whole church. She impacted that whole church. Little did she know when she said, I will give up everything for Jesus, that suddenly she would begin to influence congregations of people who for years and generations had only had a, a traditional relationship with their church. Jesus. Wow. That's, that's very fascinating. And so walk us through this, mm -hmm. that, 
you had been married to uh, Owen how many years before he eventually would pass away? Um, actually, we were married 17 years and um, he was in a motorcycle accident. But during that time, you know, he was always seeking for what could we do to be most effective? We were not educated in a Bible college, but after God spared the life of our daughter um, through mother's friends praying, she just said, we'll just spend the night praying for Brenda. And in the morning when I went to the hospital room, Brenda's standing in her crib the day before she was comatose. And that's the day I knew that God shows up. God just shows up when we can't fix it. And, and I called up mother and I said, or I called the doctor and I knew that mother and her friends were praying. I called the doctor and said, what happened to Brenda? He said, I haven't made rounds yet. What are you talking about? I said, she's standing in a crib and she knows me. And he said, that just shows God's on the throne because I was doing everything I knew to do and it wasn't working. There's so many times in my life, God has shown up and it's just so much better. The closer we walk with him, the more we can just anticipate. He will not let us down. He truly, absolutely is faithful. And so talk about that night, that night that uh, Owen was on a motorcycle. Yes, um, yes. Walk, us, walk us through that night. And then we'll talk about the ways that God was still present in your life through that horrible tragedy. Well, he had a motorcycle and my youngest daughter um, looked at her daddy and she said, can I ride with you? And it was almost like he turned deaf. He just pulled right out and left her set there by the side of the road. I mean, sitting with I was standing there with her. She was sitting on her little chair and uh, he put and she started to cry. She says, Daddy didn't take me along. And I said, he didn't hear you. But it was so planned. Here we go again, ordering steps, because God wasn't finished with her yet. But Owen had gotten so convictional about living for the Lord, walking in obedience to the Lord, and speaking up when the Spirit of God said, speak up, speak up, at any cost. And about four years before his accident, he had such an urgency in his heart to do something secular in a sense, I mean, uh, business-wise, that would make available resources for me and the kids. And I had gone back to school and finished nursing school just before this time. And he's going, but I need to do something that ever um, I couldn't work, that you and the children would be okay. And that doesn't sound so spiritual, but it was a God thing with him because he just didn't go away. I've learned through the years, Ezra, that when God's in something, he doesn't let up. He keeps bringing it across our minds. I've often said, oh, God, what do you want me to do? And then I'll say, let me forget. Help my forgetter to forget the things that you have no plan for me to be a part of. But continue to give a reminder to my heart and my mind the things that you want me to be a part of. And he could not shake this. So he got involved with the networking business. And, and you know, his conviction was so great. It was like... The height of all the logic didn't compare to the depth of the logic. The height of all his knowledge, I'm sorry, did not compare to the depth of the conviction that he had in his heart. When he would say that, it was like people would get it. And they're going, that's very good common sense. And so our business grew. And in four years, he really did do that. That there were enough of incomes. He kept saying, if I help enough of other people make more money, I'll get a small residual back get enough of residuals wide. We're not depending on people 
we'll just let the Lord bless those people. And that's what began to happen. And it grew and he God blessed it. And four years later, he takes off for hus uh, for heaven on that motorcycle. And but he did not have his daughter on with him or she'd be gone too. Well, and and then talk us so he, he left on the motorcycle and then left your little girl right in the in, in the driveway. And when, when he drove drove off, um, talk about the call then that you received uh, from the hospital a little while afterwards. Yes. Okay. The hospital called and said, or no, a state trooper called and said, uh, your husband's been in an accident. And I said, Oh, is he okay? We don't know. We just need to know what to do with the cycle. That didn't seem to matter to me at all. But I said, Oh, just do something with it. And he was in, they said in the emergency room. So I grabbed the girls and we took off. Brian was working. And so we went to the hospital and I worked there. And so of course I just, when I was in the park and like getting out of the car, I said, we need to just protect, we need to, we need to prepare ourselves because if daddy already went to heaven, we need to be ready when we walk in. We walked in and there's all my friend nurses standing with their arms folded. Nurses don't stand in the emergency room with their arm folded if they have a job to do. And you would know that because yeah. you're, you're a nurse went, yourself. I did go on to nursing school when I was 30. So I really um, just, I said, did he already go to heaven? And they just, you know, wept with me. And so that was very quick that that happened. But the people just came in droves. And actually, our very best friends, who was a minister, they had served in Guatemala and we had served in Navajo land of overlapping each other at the same time. And he he did the he was the minister with the service. And he asked me if I felt led as he probably was being led to give an altar call. And 39 people responded to the altar call and accepted Jesus in my husband's funeral. Wow. That's, that's an incredible. <laughs> so, you know, God makes no mistakes as much as we don't. But I had the opportunity to speak in that service. And most of the people that I'd grown up with, that we'd always been taught, taught a form of godliness, you know, suddenly I was able to speak about, you know, I would get upset over a, a small glass of spilt milk because I was so broke, I had no money. And I, I spoke to them and said about how God wants us to live in abundance spiritually and in every way I do believe. And that um, I, I just, I wanted them to know that this was a call that God and that the, the exposure to multitudes of people around the world was greater from a market. Okay. I said uh, the impact of God's call in a four-year period of time had really magnified. It was just, it was amazing. Yeah. Talk us through afterwards following Owen's death. How did you recover from that? Um, and I guess speak to the person that maybe is going through a similar Thing that situation either right now or maybe they've gone through even a year or two ago, but that pain is still there. How did you deal with that? How did you recover? Well, I love, first of all, I love people. And I think it's important that we discover what we really enjoy. Um, I found therapy in people, but I also found a lot of grace with people because they would let me talk about memories. And when they were so gracious to let me speak about uh, the smoke detectors getting batteries in, they would let they they gave me space to talk about some of those things and how amazingly intrigued I was 
that now I had clear vision looking back the urgency he had to have those things done. But when I would speak about those things, I would understand that God's love and his ability to know and order our steps is so much greater than our comprehension. And I can't ever say that I think I'm such a saint of God. But the thing that I realized was with everything I know to do, I want to do the best I can and then some. So that had been taught to me all my life. And even before I really knew Jesus, I had established some foundation that was good. Now, I know that a lot of people listening to this radio broadcast perhaps have never been taught anything about God. Or perhaps they've had a relationship with parents that has not been a good example. And so it's hard for them to understand. My father loved me unconditionally. He expect, he, he, he wanted the best for me. And I knew that with a solid um, sense. So I had a lot of good things. And I, even though he was never taught to say, I love you. And I talk to people now who just simply can hardly get life together because they said, my parents never told me they love me. I said, oh, I understand what you're saying. I know because I've been there, but my daddy went to work every day. I never went to bed at night worrying, would there be any food on the table in the morning? I said, I've taught, somebody taught me to start looking for the things that were good in my life. Because when I began to looking toward those, those really were in a lot of way godly fruits. That's a, that's a really great way to look at things because sometimes see the good in ourselves because we don't want to be egotistical. I understand that we don't want to be braggadocious, but you know, with couples that are having challenges, our life wasn't always perfect. We were sixteen. We weren't so grown up in marital relationships. So we had our arguments. My family could afford to buy it if we had enough of money in the account to pay for it. His family had discovered credit cards. They, <laughs> they were, yeah, I didn't even know what one was. And I didn't even know that you had to come up with the money after you used a credit card. I thought the credit card meant that you had money in the bank. So I was so illiterate about so many things. But, you know, in those vast opinions and knowledge levels, we had to come together. So there were arguments and disagreements. But I did understand that if we looked up, it seems like the, the quicker I learned that God knew the answer. He is the answer. And when we realized that neither of us were perfect, and in every discussion or disagreement, there is three different stories. Yours, mine, his, mine, and the truth. And so the truth would be God's revealing himself. And so the quicker we could get to know him and what did God want in this relationship, the, the, the more rapidly we were able to grow in him. You know, Nancy, as, as I listen to this, one of the things that strikes me is it seems like that, you know, from listening, that God providentially, even you talk about your, your father, that even though... He probably maybe wasn't the best at saying, I love you all the time. He showed you through his life. Um, oh, he did. He did. How, how to live. And, and I think your message there about sometimes it's, it's easy, right, to make excuses and say, well, my parents didn't teach me this. Well, of course, no, no parents are perfect, are they? Right. That's right. And I remember one day saying to a gentleman who had, had got come to Christ after 
he'd grown up in a Christian home, got into a rock band and got into drugs and all of his friends were commit suicide and, and dying. And he was the only one left. His name was Sammy Hall. And I said to him, oh, Sammy, I wish I had a testimony like yours. And he said, oh, no, 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 no. He said, God, God allowed me to go that far out. But thank God he let me come back. But he said, your testimony of God's staying grace, the more you got of God's staying grace, you kept walking in it. So I don't think there's a better or worse testimony. It's whatever your story is. God wants to use that. Make sure you let him shine through you. That's a great word. And in our closing time here together, I just want us to focus in here and talk about, um, after Owen's passing, um, talk about the journey then that you went through. So you went on to build your business, Amway, and, and talk about that. That was, that was actually an incredible story of the way that you built that as, um, as a single mom. And so I want you to talk about that, but then I've got a follow-up question to ask you about how did you, um, in the midst of growing your business and being successful as, as you, you would be, um, how did you still take time to work through all the emotions that you were experiencing? So, um, well, first of all, um, you know, as a process, as I, the president of, of Amway, Rich DeVos, approached me and asked me if I would consider going to the next level as a single mom. And I had no clue that I had the strength to do that. I could have never done that. But you know, God never asks us to eat the whole elephant in one meal. He just takes, tells us, eat one bite at a time. Take one step, take today, take a moment. And whether we're recovering from an addiction, whether we're overcoming habits or hurts or hangups, he doesn't ask us to process and digest the whole meal at one moment. I didn't get anywhere close to where I am today in one day. It was just one step at a time. Encouraging days, days that I didn't think I could go on. But I had spoken, he had asked me to consider that. I said, oh, I don't know if I could do that because I have three teenagers at home. I thought they needed me home. And that was, how, how soon was that after Owen's passing um, that he approached you with that? Um, well, we had earned a cruise right before Owen passed away and he never did get to go on the cruise. But he Rich DeVos called and said, bring your son. He needs to be around godly men. So I did take Brian. And on that cruise, those men were just examples to him of what a man, a husband, a father, a leader should be. And so what a blessing for me that I was surrounded now by the people, some of the people that Owen and I had been teaching God's principles of business, God's principles of free enterprise, God's principles of his, all of his word. Um, some of those people were coming back now to be examples to my children. And so you're, and, you're, you're going, and then the long part of the story is you're flying around the country. You're doing a, a lot of different I'm things. How, 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 <laughs> business with the people and the men, I didn't know that the men would listen to me because they loved Owen, but because they, they loved him because they knew that I wanted what God wanted for them. There was an understanding that seemed to bring a growing atmosphere that, that fruit continued to grow and the business can continue to grow. And so um, Rich DeVos just simply said, I want a godly single mom 
to go on to the next level of diamond. No one's ever done that. And I need a godly woman to do that. And so I went home with that prayer, knowing that it probably wasn't me. I couldn't, I couldn't digest that much that quickly. But as I went home, I noticed I spoke to my children and they all said, oh, mom, if you feel that, because they sensed that our life was really a calling. They really did. And so that diminishes a lot of the battles in the home. When, when the parents are solid, this is what God wants us to do. Then we just do it. We just move step by step and do it. And Nancy, one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on was just kind of what you talked about right there, that the reason this podcast is called the Monday Christian Podcast is because we want to help people put into practice the truth of God's Word that they hear on Sunday to their everyday lives on Monday. And one of the beautiful things that I love so much about about your life is that you have modeled that to a T with um, marketplace living. So in, in the business community, uh, you see that saw that as an incredible ministry tools. So you would use that not only for yourself, but to help, whether it's missionaries and, and people like that. I, a follow-up question here. Talk to the person that's recovering from grief. And, one, and something that's always impressed me with you is that when you went through the, the darkest period of your life, you still thought about ways to give back to others. Um, so how do you do that? When you go through incredibly dark times, how do you still give back not only to your family, but still think about others in the midst of times like that? I think in my life, um, the times I have wanted to pray the least, or the times that I have wanted to go to God's word for help the least, were probably times that I needed to go most. And so, um, I, through the years, I like to talk. People know I like to talk. Maybe I talk too much. But I had a friend who didn't grow up with any Christian. Her daddy was mayor of a city. So their whole life was surrounded by going to the country club. And if she got intoxicated on Saturday night, her daddy wanted her in church on Sunday morning with her shades on so they didn't see her red eyes. Um, because... He needed to win the next election and his children need to be in church. I never needed to go to church for that reason, to impress people. I just went because it was the right thing to do. I mean, that's what my daddy taught me. But when I saw Effie take Jesus, it was such a authentic conversion that she talked to Jesus like he was right there with her. She'd walk in the grocery store and say, God, I'm going to go away for two weeks. I'd like a head of lettuce that won't even be rotten when I come home because I need a little lettuce for dinner tonight. But she was so sincere. She wasn't being sacrilegious. And I'd never seen faith like that. And so I was surrounded by people that ran to Jesus when they were hurting. That example became so impacting in my life that I'd be driving the car and I didn't think I could go another mile. I couldn't drive another night in the snow or the ice with three children at home. What if their mama got killed? That's what the four foot fairy whispered in my ear. You better go home with your children because you might get killed like their daddy and then they'll be orphans. And all those lies that were like cheating and stealing my joy, trying to. 
But Effie taught me, don't you let anybody steal your dream or your joy or whatever word that that maybe you folks who are listening would call. What is it that makes you go down? And so I learned from her to run to Jesus. And so sometimes if you haven't grown up with it, sometimes you look to people. And Ezra, I watch you. And I think how much I would love to be close to you and Janan more because you live so much knowing God's going to show up for you. And the sacrifice that you are making because God's called you to star, um, to Starborough. And I, I, I'm touched by that. And there's times I want to do something to fix it or to make it better for you. And God says, no, 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 I have them on the journey. I've got their steps ordered and I'm going to show up when they need me to show up. And so we can trust him. So when people are going through whatever it is that you'd like to see change, when you wake up in the morning, you say, oh, dear Lord, if you just do this for me, everything would be fine. Well, God knows. God knows your heart. But bathe yourself. Just begin to talk to him conversationally and seek his face. Seek his face more than his hands. Because when you seek him and you get a relationship with him, you can trust him and you know that you'll never see yourself begging bread. You will never be without. He will never forsake you. He will never let more happen to you than his grace will cover. No problem you face will ever be greater than his grace when you learn to say, I might have my hand out, Lord, but I'm seeking your face. And when you show up with the answers that I'm asking you for, show up in a way with your answers to prayer that I can lift you up and call you blessed, that I can rejoice and your kingdom will benefit as a result. Show me how to do that, Lord, a little better than I've ever done it before for your glory, not for mine. Wow, those last few sentences there, incredibly powerful. Um, Because, you know, I think back, and I don't think I'm past this stage yet of, because I still fall back into this sometimes, because I'll wake up and I'll pray, okay, God, would you just do this? And I know we've all, I've always been taught, you know, you don't get instant answers to your prayers, but yet you still think, that that's the way it should be, right? And, Isn't it time yet, God? Isn't it time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, for some relief. And so talk to that person that I know you already have in so many ways already, but that person that's saying, okay, you know, Nancy, I, man, I feel like I have prayed and I have prayed and I have prayed, but I am still hurting from whether it's a loss of a, a family member, a friend. Maybe it's just a loss of a relationship or, or they're scared about their job certainty. I, it could be a variety of things. But they feel that pain inside and they have prayed and they have prayed. And now they're wrestling with that thought, okay, God, are you even good? Like, if you were really good, you know, because I've had this thought some, sometimes. Maybe I, maybe I shouldn't admit it because that, that I'm, I'm a pastor, but I've had this thought like, okay, God, would I treat my kid, because Janine and I are expecting our, our first kid, would I treat my kid the way that I feel like you're treating me right now? And I'm, I know a lot of people have had those thoughts. So when you have those thoughts, 
and you feel like you're, you know, maybe you're laying on your bed and you've got tears in your eyes and you're thinking, okay, God, I can, I don't know if I can take the next step. What do you do when you're in that situation? A lot of times when I'm in that situation, there's no, I don't have any words. I don't know what to say. And I'm usually not wordless. So <laughs> that's, that's kind of wit's end for me. And I think that wit's end is a wonderful place to be because that's where God can come in. When we are empty, there's more space for him to come in. So sometimes it's better to be empty than to be half thinking we can fix it. So emptiness is not so bad whenever we're cleaning out so that he can fill my cup. One of the things though, when I would be um, hurting the most when Owen left for Jesus, um, I found that there were a few uh, songs, praise music, and I saw also read in God's word that it said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. So I found that I, I, I gleaned strength from when I couldn't sing, when I couldn't even pray. I didn't know what to do. I could flip in that CD that somebody else praised Jesus. And it would be get, get into my empty, empty cup. And the more that I listened to that, some people just have to get around people, but sometimes those people we need to be around are so committed to helping so many people that we have to be careful that we don't make excuses and say, I can't call up Pastor Ezra because he's too busy. That's a trick of the enemy too. But you know what? Every time when you're hurting, if you know God's saying, call Pastor Ezra or Janine, make sure that the things that you ask and the, and the wisdom they give you from God's word, that you begin to move with that wisdom. Don't go sit at their feet over and over and over and steal their strength and their time. They are, they are valuable in God's sight and they are investing their time for his kingdom and they need an answer to God for the time that they have. So when one comes to talk to someone for help, then go away determined that you will use the help that you got. At least begin to move that direction. That's that's some good advice. Now, now talk about, we've just got about three or four minutes left here. Talk about the ways that God filled you up afterwards, after Owen's passing, and now you're married to Bob Stoffer, and I've become great friends with him. Even though he's an Orioles fan and I'm a Blue Jays fan, we still... <laughs> We still find ways to, we still have common ground. Oh, yeah. He forgives you for that. <laughs> Talk um, about, you know, God brought him into your life. And looking back, you know, what would you, what would you just say? What hope would you offer to a person who's maybe going through what you went through? But now looking back after, I don't know, how many years have you been married to Bob? Uh, since 1979. 1979. But we still consider ourselves newlyweds. Because when we first got married, we went on a short honeymoon for two days and then brought our five kids all together so we could all convene together on a, on, on a sandy beach. We just kind of built sand castles. And uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, you just have to begin somewhere. So we brought them all together to wind up the honeymoon. And um, we began to talk about, we freely talked about where we came from. You don't ever want to forget where you came from because that's a part of your story. 
and God brought you through that. So we talk about that and we freely speak about the boy's mama who's with Jesus and my kids whose daddy's with Jesus. So we talk about that freely with them. And when they accomplish something, I'll say, oh, I'm so glad. I'm sure your mama knows you've just accomplished this, gotten good grades in school or finished this or gotten this scholarship for music to college or whatever. And and I, I'm sure they're so pleased. They would be so happy. And so you I were you were free to talk about things like that. And in because Bob's yeah. previous wife, she had passed away as well. She did and she was she was a godly woman as well. And but the things that I heard at the hospital that he their relationship I didn't even know that those girls knew this guy I was dating. And then later on, my friends said, that's the guy that we told you about that didn't give his name, but, or any confidentiality. It's just that he cared for her so much. And so, you know, when we commit to love each other in sickness and health, sometimes we don't expect the sickness to come in the early thirties. But when she was diagnosed, the youngest person with bone cancer in medical history, um, they predict five years and she lived eight months. So that seemed to end quickly. And he had a four-year-old and a 10-year-old. And so because he owned a company and we had a county, he was at the county fair with an exhibit. We met there. We started to talk and um, with nothing more in mind than just to introduce because we had something in common. And um, But when I said to him, um, I knew how he felt. I felt the same way. I'd been single longer. And he said, isn't it amazing? The grace of God just gets you through one moment at a time. And I knew at that moment he would make it because of that attitude. I didn't know how rough it would be, but I knew he'd make it. And up until that and point, so, let me just pause you there. So up until that point, you had just known him from you. you so you were a nurse at the hospital and yes, you had uh -huh. seen that his wife was, was sick. And you were just going over to him to just console him because you had gone through right what he was exactly. going through Similar things. and his his wife had just died three months before and mine had been gone over a year so I just thought well I could let him know that somehow you get the strength to go on you know just hang in there you know and um you know and then he answered this spiritual response that I thought well he's more solid than I even knew his cousin and I were very good friends and she was a nurse as well so I knew that they were all she had me and my kids praying for his wife and she had their family praying for me, a new widow with three teens. And we, none of us knew the others. So when we finally connected and got introduced, um, he remembered my name from his prayer list. I remembered his from the same. Now that sounds extremely spiritual, but to this day, it's like God ordered that God ordered that. And so you've been married all the, all these years now. And, yes. and and I've always known that he loves the Lord with all his heart. And it was a long time till he knew he could be committed to me because he was so committed to Marlene. And it took a long time, you know, in our relationship till we even ever felt that would work. But in the meantime, we just would go out to for pizza and take all the kids with us. So our dates were always with people. But you know, I learned a lot about that because we could go and just go out and dine together, the two of us, and look the best and not really see the bottom line. So I felt the secret to some of the success in our marriage and our children loving each other, well, liking each other. They, they, they do love each other too. They like being together. But was the fact that we let them see each other at their worst when somebody had a pity party, when somebody didn't like that food or whatever, and we had to walk through that together. It was real. So, 
authentic. It was really living. That really was. And so finally, then he realized that he had done everything he could to help Marlene when she was ill and in their life that within his power to do and that he could let her rest in peace and, and, and have peace himself. And so I would encourage people to begin to seek light and truth and, and whatever God lays on your heart to do. Uh, Paul said in the word, follow me as far as I follow Christ. So find someone that you think I had a lady because I didn't have a mom to teach me how to be a mom. I had a friend who she was probably as close to what I thought Jesus would want a mom to be. So when I didn't know what to do with my kids, I'd say, what would Lois do right now? And I would follow her as far as I saw her light following God's word. That was a big help for me. And so with Bob and I, we just did that. We watched other people and we didn't know a lot of other people that had lost their spouses that young in life, but we both came from solid foundations enough. And now we're really into the word that um, we just kept praying. And I really had a lot of trepidation about it was too much. I can't make this work. I'm too overwhelmed. I mean, I would make all these thoughts in my mind and almost let it steal my whole future. I almost did. I canceled the wedding the day of the wedding. (laughs) But But somehow, somehow God got you through that. But at that moment, he just looked at me. He said, Nancy, you know that our kids love each other. We love each other. And God's in this. This afternoon at 1.30. Didn't say it mean. He said at 1.30, the minister's going to show up and we're going to get married. And I don't want you to worry any more about this. And we did. And I cried through the wedding. But I've been very, very happy ever since. Nancy, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for coming on the podcast. It's been really, really helpful. Well, thank you, Ezra, for asking me. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled and I'm blessed and I love you and Janine so much. And I just, I long for the people there for you to find them and them to find you and all together celebrate Jesus and see DPC just have God show up and explode for him. That's the desire of my heart. It wasn't that great. I don't know about you, but I took away a lot of helpful points from Nancy's talk today. And if you're someone that maybe you're going through a difficult season of your life right now and you want to reach out to someone, just send me an email, Ezra at mondaychristian.com, and I can maybe connect you with Nancy. And so that way, if you have any follow-up questions that you want to ask about maybe how you get through difficult times, I know she would be happy to connect with you. But that about does it for this week's edition of the Monday Christian Podcast. And hey, if you enjoyed this, if you found it helpful, go ahead and maybe share it on your social media page. That would be really, really helpful, and I would appreciate it a lot. But until next week, I'm Ezra Beyer. Thanks so much for listening. You've been listening to the Monday Christian Podcast, the program dedicated to helping you put into action the truth of God's Word that you hear on Sunday to your everyday life on Monday. For more info on this program and other resources that can help you grow stronger in your walk with God, simply visit our website, mondaychristian.com. That's mondaychristian.com.